Welcome to the Rhodes Trust Roads Ahead series, bringing you thought leadership from the Rhodes community around the world. In this set of podcasts, recorded during the inaugural Schwarzman Rhodes Symposium at Rhodes House, Oxford in October 2018, our contributors reflect on public leadership in the 21st century, in particular the challenges of ethical leadership, cultural understanding, and communication in today's fast-moving interconnected world. We hear now from Professor Nick Allard, recently retired President and Dean of Brooklyn Law School, New York City. My name is Nick Allard. I'm from the United States. I have dual citizenship. I live both in Brooklyn in the city of New York and also Washington, D.C., the entertainment capital of the world, some say. It's always great to get back to Oxford, where I was studying PPE at Merton College as a Rhodes Scholar. I've just satisfied the rule that a Rhodes Scholar will find some way within 15 seconds to tell you that they're a Rhodes Scholar, so forgive me for that. For the last several decades, I've been very active in the worlds of politics, law, and higher education. I've worked on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., for giants, I've been privileged, such as the late Senator Ted Kennedy, the late Daniel Patrick Moynihan. I was his chief of staff. I've worked with Vice President Al Gore. But I've always had a foot in higher education as a teacher, an author, as an outside lawyer, because I am a lawyer of major universities, as an alumni leader, the head of search committees, and for my sins as a fundraiser, which always is a big part of the job. But I've also been in private practice as a lawyer. And most recently, for the last six and a half years now, I've been at Brooklyn Law School, where I've been the dean and president. Brooklyn Law School is an independent law school. So we have a president because you're the CEO, in effect, in addition to being the dean. You wear two hats. It's a marvelous institution. It's one of the oldest and largest law schools in the United States. So that's what I've been doing for the last several years. But recently, I've stepped down as the president and dean. I'm looking for other platforms and opportunities where we can use legal education and the power of law to advance social interests, to help transform and improve lives. What I thought might be of interest is why legal education and why what lawyers do is important. It's certainly important in terms of public leadership because our democracy and working as a just and free society is essentially about the rule of law. At this moment in our society, our shared community around the world, and certainly within the United States, this is very apparent. We're at an inflection point, I believe, that we come across every several number of generations, and it's a time where there's a lot at stake. What's at stake is nothing less than whether our free and civil and just institutions, which have endured and served us reasonably well, though they're imperfect, will continue and they'll continue to improve, or instead whether we'll sink into a much darker type of world, which instead of being governed by mutually acceptable rules, which are adopted constitutionally or by statute or by cases, rules that we live by, whether instead we descend into a place where outcomes are determined by autocratic, non-democratic power, by violence, by influence, by immorality, or by serendipity. 
If you don't think that that is the case, or you think that I'm exaggerating, then you haven't been paying attention to what's going on. Lawyers are in the front lines right now, as they always have been. Lawyers are the guardians of democracy. They're the architects of economic opportunity. They're the peacemakers in many respects. And so the tool throughout the history of mankind that is remarkably useful is a legally trained mind. We were talking at Rhodes House at Oxford University this weekend about public leadership. The skills of lawyers are front and center in that whole topic. One reason is that a lawyer inherently, even if they're working for private interests, is working simultaneously in a public vein because they have responsibilities to the law, they need to uphold the rules of procedure, but also the basic rules, and they abide by ethical and professional standards. Even when they're acting in the most private controversy or in the most private business arrangement, then in terms of equal rights, justice, peace, enforcing our freedoms, holding the government accountable, making sure the government is transparent. This is what lawyers do. Now, there are great challenges ahead for lawyers and for legal educators. One of the greatest challenges is how to engage in civic education. And I'll explain that. This weekend, we were talking about the need for leaders who are courageous. Sometimes they need physical courage. Sometimes they need social courage to stand up for something that's unpopular. Sometimes they need existential courage. They need to stare into the face of the old Hamlet question, to be or not to be, and look at the future and question their very existence and think, is what I'm doing worthwhile? Is there a purpose for me to even exist given my ability to contribute to the world? So these are tough things. We also talked about the need for virtues, resume virtues versus the legacy virtues, if you will, the eulogy virtues. Here in Oxford, people have wonderful resumes. They accumulate great honors and distinctions. Bravo. Shakespeare has a wonderful word about it. I'm going to try to pronounce it. Honorific abilitudinatatatibus. He uses it in Love's Labor's Lost. What that word means is being in the state of earning and obtaining honors and distinctions. And he uses that word to send up some rather pompous people in the play. Now, Rhodes scholars and Schwarzman scholars who have gathered here, and lawyers often are the type of people that are very able in accumulating resume distinctions. But the virtues that matter the most, the ones that have a lasting impact, they're in the service of others. Another real need is education and civic education. This is critically important, and here's why. Democracy inherently involves people giving up their power to the government in order for the government to do what people cannot do themselves. And the government's legitimacy depends on the consent of the governed. If the government won't abide by government rules, if they won't cooperate in the development of government policy, if they ignore the law and the regulations, then we have chaos. Now, in order for people to continue to give their active consent in participatory democracy, they must understand how the government is supposed to work, and they must respect it. We have a long way to go in this day and age to improve the understanding of the public, 
about our basic elements of government and the rule of law, how it's supposed to work. I'll give you just one example. The Woodrow Wilson Foundation, based in Princeton, New Jersey, recently conducted a large survey of American citizens. It gave a large number of American citizens the same test that immigrants take in order to qualify to become citizens. Well, the existing citizens didn't do too well. 37% of the large number of Americans surveyed believed that Ben Franklin invented the light bulb. I'm not making that up. Now, that would be amusing if it wasn't so sad. And it is just one marker. I am extremely sure that more than one half, it could be as high as 70% of Americans, could not name the vice president of the United States. I'm just sure of that. You could look that up. Now, this is serious when you consider that that vice president sat in waiting if there had been, and it was very close to being the case, a tie vote in the Senate for the Kavanaugh nomination to be confirmed to the Supreme Court. Not knowing in a democracy the name of the person who is going to determine the next appointment, the key appointment to the least democratic and most powerful branch of the United States government is concerning. Then in addition, the vice president of the United States is, it's happened before, the person who steps in if for whatever reason the president leaves office, is removed, or is unable to serve as the president of the United States. And I'm sure that Americans' illiteracy about their own government is not unique. So what can we do? We can have wonderful institutions like the Rothamere American Institute here at Oxford or departments of politics. We can have every level of education from higher to secondary, even elementary school, to begin and continue to educate everyone about the civics of how our system of democracy works. We also can have lawyers to continue to do their business and talk about what they're doing. This is one reason why I was very involved with the American Bar Association, working on the celebration of the 800th anniversary of Magna Carta to educate the public on both sides of the Atlantic about the history of Magna Carta and why a few scraps of vellum are so important. They stand for certain propositions. Some of what was believed to be the principles of Magna Carta, in effect, became the DNA of our basic documents which created our republic. They're found in the Constitution, they're found in the Bill of Rights, and then they're found in the case law Today, in a digital world, it's in effect the software of the new rules of the game for how we live and operate in a very brave new world in the 21st century. So understanding this is critically important, and I think all of us can do our part to educate people about how the government is supposed to work. That was Professor Nick Allard, recently retired President and Dean of Brooklyn Law School, New York City. You have been listening to the Roads Ahead series on public leadership. We do hope you can join us for our next podcast. Music